Every person has a story, but not everyone has a place to tell it. I'm Frank Swoboda. I've interviewed amazing people all over the planet. I want you to meet them. This week, the most interesting person you've never heard of is... I'm Jason Clark. I'm the most interesting person you've never heard of because I like to give away a lot of food. Well, Jason Clark, welcome to the MIP podcast. Thanks for being here. I am honored, Frank. Is, is this sort of like Conan O'Brien needs a friend? Kind it of is. Vibe? It's yeah. exactly right. It's yes. I just I couldn't use that line because I'd be stealing Conan's. But Otherwise, I can say it. You could say it. Okay. That is one of the podcasts that I love the most. It is. Do you a good watch? One. Do you listen to that podcast? I've do listened. you watch or listen? I guess listen. you have to listen. Listen. I don't yeah. think he puts his mug on I camera. Have, I haven't checked, but I've listened to a lot of them. I have too. What was your favorite one? Oh my I have gosh. a couple that are really He good. has, <clears throat> I would probably say, um, oh, I've just lost it. The the guy who is on the Larry, Daryl, and Daryl, Bob Newhart. Oh my, but he had Bob Newhart on? Yeah. He did? Yeah, yeah. I've got to go listen to that. You know, yeah. Bob Newhart's son went to GU. Gonzaga. Oh, really? Uh, Rob Newhart. And he was the same age as, a couple years older than me. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I know. And he's, you know, Bob did the commencement speech at Gonzaga, of course, when oh. his son graduated. Oh, that's cool. It was really I cool. did not know that. Bob, yeah. Bob is Bob Newhart timeless. was on there? Oh, yeah. my gosh. Timeless comedian. His, uh, Bill Hader's pretty good. That oh, one okay. is pretty good. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Dana Carvey's is really, Paul McCartney's. He just did one with Paul McCartney. Oh, well, I have to catch you. Because Paul has a new book with all these photos that he had, yeah. that he found, like, 50 years later, he found a bunch of photos that he took of the Beatles oh, and wow. has an exhibit. It's unbelievable. Oh, and Paul's geez. a heck of a photographer, too. Oh, I bet him and Conan interacting anyway, was very entertaining. Right. So you are the CEO of Second Harvest. The biggest question I have, this comes from Tyler, what was the first harvest and when will the third harvest happen? <laughs> We're still sorting that out. We have... Uh, a bunch of paleoarchaeologists working on the first question. At this question. very moment? Yeah, and there's a whole team. Um, I feel like I was, my, a past life, I was part of the first harvest. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that's true, but I sort of feel like that. No, second harvest is, as I understand it, and full disclosure, second harvest is a client of Corner Booth yeah. Media, so you should probably say that. Yeah. But um, uh, the, it's the large, one of the largest food banks or distri- food distributors in the country. Am I correct about that? Uh, well, they're they're one actually, of the largest. One of the largest. Yeah, we we definitely have. There are about 199 food banks like ours across the country that are part of a network called Feeding America, and uh, it's a pretty wonderful group of people trying to help folks facing hunger. So uh, we've been working about four years together now. Believe yeah. it or not. And we've produced a bunch of videos that are now approaching 5 million views. Wow. I know. Is that crazy? That, that's <clears throat> Many of which star you, Jason Clark, on your hunger crusade that you yeah. have been somehow said yes to our crazy ideas. Uh, why? Why would you ever well, say? Well, <laughs> it was, you made a pitch, Frank, and you were like, we're going to turn you into the dumb Anthony Bourdain. And I just, yes. I couldn't pass that up. And, and. It also tackled one of my, one of the other biggest problems in my life is that I'm extremely forgettable. I am, I am doing almost everything I can to get myself to stick in people's memories. And it's hard. 
I see people that I've known for years and at the store and they'll be like, hey, hey Josh. <laughs> it's hurtful. <laughs> well, we do say at the beginning of the of your episodes, uh, I'm a uh, slow-witted Scandinavian is what you called yourself. Yeah, yeah that's... <laughs> Which is so totally not true. It's <laughs> well, not. I mean, many people Scandinavian maybe, but yeah, not the Many people would debate. <laughs> so, uh, um, so you came... How did you get to Spokane? Because you're not from here. I'm not. I'm you are now. Yeah, how, yeah. I mean, how many no. years have you been here? Uh, 21 years. No, you're not here from here. Man, you have no, to be I'm 30. Still, I think I'm it's 30 years up. you get to be from In Spokane. nine years. You get nine years. 2032. Yeah. shoot for. Yeah. I'll do my best to survive. Um, so I, I grew up in Missouri. And uh, I actually, when I was in college, started volunteering at the local food bank. Um, by the time I was 24, I was actually the executive director of that food bank. No way. Yeah, yeah. It was wow. fun. I, for years, I was the youngest uh, director in our national network, so that was kind of fun. How did that happen? Um, People died? or I, I wish it was that dramatic, but um, it was a small organization, much smaller than Second Harvest, and uh, had a really great mentor there. And I worked there. I had a scholarship that basically paid me to volunteer. And I was at the food bank. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. And one of my professors was on the board. And when the other executive left, whatever for whatever reason, I was bold enough to toss my hat in the ring, and I did it. <laughs> and you're kind of built to do it, right? I think. Have you loved? Oh, is this yeah. something you've loved the whole way, or like? Ah. I I really did fall in love with the work. It was interesting. I I was a history major and minor I took a lot of philosophy classes as well and I actually thought I was going to go to grad school and maybe even a PhD in history thinking about being a professor I could see that uh, uh, well, the beard I, mean, I got the beard I know you you could do it now maybe this got, is your next career well it could happen you, you um, would be a great professor it, it, except for the fact that one of my professors pulled me aside and said Jason I are, are you really set up for a life of intellectual rigor maybe you're more of a man of action it was another one of those moments where it's like wow that was really hurtful was it but but i think right I think so <laughs> yeah yeah you're a man of action what's wrong with that uh, no yeah no it was it was kind of cool the the food bank thing for what for a lot of reasons really just worked for me and i totally changed gears i got that job um i went to a lovely uh, grad school, a uh, Benedictine college in Atchison, Kansas, uh, cool. kind of a cool uh, Catholic university who will even accept Lutherans in a pinch. Whoa. And, uh, yeah. Apparently was, they did. It was dicey. Um, so <laughs> Very I, dangerous. I, I got an MBA, and this is my long-winded answer to, by then I knew a lot of the folks in the Feeding America Network, and mm. the guy who ran Second Harvest in Spokane actually got poached and went to work for the national organization. Mm. And he said, he knew I was. Who was that? His name was Al Brisline. Okay. And Al was. What year would this have been? So Al left in 2002, and I started in Spokane in October of that year. Wow, 2002. Yeah. So you're over 20 years now. Over two decades. Wow. And 30 years in food. So value. how in those 20 years, how far is how much has this grown? This organization, in terms of uh, who you feed, and I don't know how yeah. you measure those things. Kind I'm of, sure. I do, but. Yeah, probably a few different ways we, we try to think about that. But, you know, um, let's see. Let me think back. I'm sure my numbers aren't perfect, but I think maybe our operating budget was just over a million dollars. Uh, I think we had 24 staff. 
And most importantly, you know, I, I want to say we were distributing maybe seven or eight, maybe nine million pounds of food a year. Um, and today, you know, we are, I think our budget this year, our, our goal is $11 million. Wow. Uh, I think we have 65 <clears throat> staff. And wow. um, we're on track to share about 30, 34 million pounds of food with neighbors. And we actually shared another about 45 million pounds of food with food banks all across the country. Wow. This year? Yeah. <clears throat> that's an annual thing. Yeah, an annual thing. Uh, that's amazing. Thing. And I know those, I've never found a way to help people wrap their head around those numbers, but it helps tens of thousands of families. And it's because we have thousands of donors and volunteers that make it happen. And, and a big, bigger need that's grown. Yeah. Yeah. No, I would say... Um, kind of the economic insecurity in general, you know, you can give up, you can't pay 90% of your rent, but you can buy half the groceries. Yeah. And so that just means food banks are a place for folks who are trying to make it work. Go. So when I was a kid, a food bank was this place you went and it was actually at your facility when I was a kid, but I mean, the last few, maybe decade or two, you would go into your place on, what is it, Front Street or whatever, wherever that is, right down by the Spokane River, across from Gonzaga, and you would go in there and you'd get your food. Yeah. It's a different world now. Like, and I think people still don't, there's a lot of people that don't realize that, that that is not how you get food to people. It's vastly changed. It has evolved a lot. You know, I, you bring food now to people where they are a lot more, correct? We do. You know, we, we'd say our, our work is in a couple of bodies. One is kind of direct service. And so that's when we, we put food on a truck and go put it in the hands of folks who need help. And then uh, a larger volume is kind of a pass-through thing where we're more like a foundation. We, we find the food. We make sure it's packaged up and safe and all those things. And we then distribute it to local food pantries or food banks, whatever folks want to call them. <clears throat> and those are scattered all over eastern Washington and north Idaho. There are over 200. So has the service area changed since you started, or was it the same, the same area? It's, it's been the same in my time. Okay. Um, Which is, was, just to be clear, from basically from Yakima. Yeah. Uh, Ellensburg, maybe? Uh, yep. Yeah, Ellensburg, Ellensburg, Yakima, all the way to Sandpoint, Coeur d'Alene. Correct. Sort of North Idaho and, and Eastern Washington, that whole stretch. So Tri-Cities, Spokane. Yeah, yeah. That's like Wenatchee. I mean, this is a lot of places. It is. And, and growing populations. It is. Yeah, I can't believe how much it's grown in my 20 years here. But, yeah, it's 52,000 square miles. That's got to be one of the largest areas that that gets served by a food bank. I it is. Guess. Yeah, I mean, there, there are a handful where, like, there's one food bank in New Mexico, and they have a lot of square miles. But sure. for the most part, it's one of the biggest in the country, for sure. Right. But a lot of cactus. Yeah, cactus. More people. Desert. Yeah, correct. Yeah. More yeah. people than cactus. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. So um, there, a lot of the stories we've told are about the things that are really where people, you know, for you, you've struggled with getting those mm. stories out, right? Or getting, getting yeah. people to know about how do I get food? Where do I get it? How do I get it? Um, how do I, you know, how do I find it? And, um, and where do you get the food? (laughs) You know, those are all been things that I think when we sat down four or five years ago, it was like, 
these are just things that drive you crazy that you wish people knew more about. And I think we're, we're getting there yeah. on, on people kind of understanding that stuff. But um, you have things called mobile markets. Mm-hmm. What is that? Yeah, you know, it's pretty cool. We, one of the things I love about being, you know, we're a member of this national network, but what's cool is Second Harvest was founded in Spokane. We're a Washington State nonprofit. We have our local board. But one of the advantages to belonging to this um, kind of voluntary network of food banks around the country is that there are 199 experiments going at all times. And so there were food banks, you know, over uh, 20 years ago that started doing this thing called a mobile market. And, you know, I, having been doing this for 30 years, one of the great fortunes of my career is that there were many of these people who founded food banks that were still around when I started. And one of them, uh, he has he has since passed, but his name was John Arnold. And back in the day, he was trying to get the word out to convince us all that we needed to take the food to the people directly. And so he started doing these things like mobile markets. And John was this guy who he used to hide behind the dumpsters at a food company and he would jump out and yell, aha, I said you were, I knew you were throwing food away. <laughs> you should give it to me. <laughs> Seriously. Oh yeah. He literally did that. Wow. Um, he should have filmed that. That would have been awesome. Well, he did make a series of videos in the nineties and it was, you would, he kind of looked like Zach Galifianakis and he <laughs> sat between two ferns. I can't even make it up. And he would kind of lecture about how we should it's do this. The thing. inspiration for Zach. It might have been. Maybe oh, Zach yeah, saw yeah. it. Um, Good, because we're going to have a Zach. We're going to have a Between Two Thorns segment here before we end this podcast. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah, That's no, another one of my ready. favorites. Okay, just, I'm just warning you. I'm I'm prepared. Anyway, long story short, John is one of these guys who who did this experiment, and we decided we needed to try something like this in Spokane. So in 2006. Um, we basically found this one-time grant, bought a truck, and we started testing this thing. And I, I, I could be wrong about the numbers, but it wasn't much. Maybe that first year we did 20 events. And today uh, we actually have three vehicles dedicated to this program, and I think our forecast is to do 420 events this year. Oh, my goodness. So it's millions of pounds of food, thousands of volunteers and families. <clears throat> And the way this works, because we've had a chance to film a few of these, it's yeah. remarkable. <clears throat> there's a, we pull up, <laughs> this is our perspective, we pull up and there is a line of cars for, in some cases, mile. Yeah. I mean, inside a parking lot of a school or a, you know, kind of a church or something. And they're just, they're snaked down the road, depending on this place, yeah. for a really long, long way. A lot of people standing in line, <clears throat> which is pretty humbling to begin with it's yep, powerful agreed. that there are that many people waiting in line to get food because they don't have it okay there's that um, because of the cost of housing the cost of all kinds of stuff of, yeah. you know and the reality of just their lives and then you pull around this corner and there is a machine that pops oh. up like you just drive this little I don't know it's like a semi or something right or some yeah. kind of truck it's, a, it's a converted beer truck it's a converted beer truck no wonder I like it so yeah, much yeah 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 it's a converted it beer truck it was intuitive for you yeah, like, totally oh. I, know, I feel so close to this and and, it, and you open up the sides and almost all volunteers yep. like you have like one staff or two one or two staff that, yeah. that oversee these things everywhere we're talking about we filmed in Zilla you know we filmed I mean in, in a lot you know a lot of different places around the state and they just these volunteers pass out a lot of food like people get quite a bit of food 
Yeah, several bags of groceries. They, they, we can usually serve, um, I'd say average is about 230 to 250 families. And they might get, you know, we might have, depending on the vehicle, it might be nine to 12,000 pounds of food, which again is hard to visualize. Right, it but is. But it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. And, and, a, and in a couple hours. Yeah, in a couple hours. And it's just run like clockwork and it and people get people are getting in and out of there, they're getting food and they're and yeah. you can see they appreciate it. Yeah, and one of the things I love about it is the the our team and the volunteers, you know, just because folks are are kind of in a economic struggle or, or having some problems in their life, it doesn't have to be dark and heavy. And I think they do a good job of bringing a little bit of joy and oh, cheer. Oh, it's pretty fun. These are like a party a little bit yeah the and and people bring that um and it's i I think it's a little thing but i think it helps yeah and um you know having the experience of that we just have have noticed how much the impact had on your team but on the people that are there um and then how many of these are needed and so people can find these how that was the other thing that's a challenge it's like okay we got these we got this food. Mm. We got these mobile markets. They are showing up in pe- really people's neighborhoods yeah. all over. Um, once a week anyway, maybe how many times a week? Maybe. Yeah, there, there are usually four or five events in Spokane area and then three to four. Maybe a month. Yeah. Um, well, so basically we have, I would say we have like eight events a week. And they're spread across the region. Oh wow! And okay. so there are, you know, there are. Of which three or four might be Spokane? Uh, yes, yes. So, but most of we really try to focus on rural communities. Um, you know, we have pretty good data about uh, all of the pantries that we help, and in a lot of our rural counties, a food pantry is open six to eight hours a month. So that's a pretty small it's target. Not very much. That's a small target, and, and and that's not a criticism. They're volunteer-led organizations in most cases. Uh, they have limited resources. It's and what they can do. It's what they can do. So it's not a criticism at all, but it's a reality. It's a reality. And so us sending out this instant market, and, and they're all set up as a drive-through, as you mentioned now. Right. So they're pretty. They're pretty quick. Pretty efficient. Pretty efficient, and um, yeah, it's been a scalable thing for us. So people can find these on your website. Yeah. So uh, back to your original question there. We, th- that's on the website. We've actually got a pretty big following on social media. Once people know about them, they can find the schedule there. They can subscribe and follow. Yep. They can follow your crusade videos. If they ever see one of those, you can click on that, and actually it will take you to the page where this, yeah. where you can find these markets, yeah, it, which is part of the reasons for doing that. We really try to make it visible. Whatever. Yeah. So yeah. That, that's been huge. The other one of the episodes we did... <clears throat> was um, was was around the reality of, of kids and yeah. the lack of food oh, yeah. for school kids. Yep. Um, I was sort of shocked when we first started doing this. I was mm-hmm. like, really? There's that many kids, families and kids that don't have food, um, uh, you know, on the weekends, essentially, right? Yeah. <clears throat> and then summer is even, even bigger problem. Right now, we're in the middle of summer here. As we as we record this, which by the way, I have to cheers you. You are the thirtieth episode. Ooh, thank of the you. The MIP podcast. Nice. So Thanks, for I saved you. You know, the best for thirty. It's a pretty big number. I, I'm trying to become memorable, Frank. <clears throat> you are it. already off to a good start. 
so, so you, you along with some other partners, some other nonprofits, which yeah. sort of teamed together, c- created this program called Bite to Go. Yeah. Tell me about Bite to Go. Yeah, I, I love it's a. Because um, I think it's amazing. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And I, it, it's another one of those things that has sort of a complicated genesis because you know the, these things were around have been around the country for a long time, and we tested them at Second Harvest in the early two thousands, but it, it just never really took off. And kind of separately and independently, a couple of great people in North Spokane kind of discovered the idea too and started doing it with the school. And long story short, a group called At The Core, which is a wonderful local nonprofit, um, kind of came to us and it reignited this idea. And instead of it being like competitive or a turf thing or any of yeah. that stuff, it, the exact opposite happened. We really decided to do this together really quickly. Hmm. And we traveled to Texas and, and got even more inspiration from a program there. And for, gosh, I guess closing in on nine years now, uh, we started building the thing that we called Bite to Go. And we started out with a few hundred kids a week to we just celebrated. We ended this last school year at 9,750 kids a week. Oh, my goodness. Because we found a video about this a year ago, and it was 6,000. Yeah, somewhere in there. That was the number we had thrown out then. And now it's nearly 10,000. Yeah, that's why. And then, and the so 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 the way it works, right? Yeah. Is kids go to school, and before they leave for the weekend, is this right? How does this work exactly for the for yeah. the kids? Yeah, you know, it's as you can imagine. There's a lot of a lot of uh, things are simple in concept and hard to execute. <laughs> and so this yep. is one. This is one of those things. The devils in the details. Exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, easy to say, hard to do. But so the the kind of the place we landed is you have to let the the individual school figure out how they want to do this. I would say a good example of how it works is that uh, school counselors and some trusted teachers become the ones who help identify kids that might need this help. Because that can be a tricky process. You don't want to embarrass anybody or shame right, anybody. Or, right, and, and hey, that's the kid who can't afford food. And, and, and you know. parents have to sign a permission slip, and so there are lots of things. So there, there's some nuance to figuring that out. And then in terms of getting the food to the kids, I think everybody's been super thoughtful about that. And, and I would use my words. My description is if you go to a school where 96% of the kids are on the free lunch program, there's not much stigma. No. It's just kind of everybody's kind of in that reality. Right, right. So those schools, I would say they feel fairly open to me that, oh, yeah, I, I have that, and kids share them freely, and it's not a stigma thing. Right. Other schools, there are there are low-income kids in every public school. Absolutely. And, and those um, things are a little more thoughtful, and usually it's you stop by the teacher's classroom at the end of the day, and the bag fits in your backpack. So I think it's handled in the right way, but we, cool. let, we let the school figure that out. That's cool. And then you have business, you brought business along with this. Yeah. yeah. That is, I think, a brilliant move. So you got education where the kids are. Yep. And then you have help, you need some help. For sure. To, to facilitate this. So how does business, how do businesses help or organizations that, yeah. that care about this? Well, it, it, as an example, I'm pretty sure we spent like $1.1 or $1.2 million just on the food this last school year. And that is 100% sponsored by donors. 
who, wow. who adopt that school and take care of those kids. And the craziest thing, Frank, is, um, you know, we're really proud at Second Harvest overall, we have like 44% donor retention. Uh, I'm sorry, 54%. I think the national average is more like 40%. So we're already like, feel like we're doing well there. Bite to go has like 97% donor retention. Wow. So. Yeah, because 54 is really good. Yeah, yeah. 97 is insane. 97% of the people that don't, that, that sort of help the program. And these guys are, they, they pay for, they in many cases donate for the food and then they bring it to them and they pack it up. Yeah. That's, that's the rest of the story. That's cool. Down at the Wolf Child Hunger Center. Um, during the school year, you see a parade of cars come through a couple days a week and they're the volunteers often the ones writing the check to support the school or their coworkers or whatever. And they're picking up the food and they're delivering it to that school so it can be distributed. And they've week. adopted these schools and they become part of that school. And Yeah, and they do yeah. All, all these other crazy things happen, like they're doing coat drives or they're knitting mittens or they're getting involved in reading programs. And it's it's really cool. And some of these are churches. Some of these churches, are businesses. Churches, businesses, individuals. It's the whole range. And and, and as, as the need grows, you need more of those. Yep. Yeah, the, next, the real challenge with the next frontier... It, <clears throat> We've done really well in Spokane County. I think we have all, I think we can say now we have every school in the program. Is that right? Yeah, and we've every got, public school in this county yep. is a is a bite to go yep. program. Wow! Yep. If, Congratulations. If, That's if amazing. I'm, if I'm off one, I'll beg for forgiveness. But we even have the Head Start schools involved now. Wow! The Head Start program. So wow. that's amazing. The the next frontier is we have some rural schools in the program and so that's the next thing and that's a tougher puzzle to solve but we're working on it so the, i remember when we talked about you know six thousand kids now it's 10 but the need is not 10 yeah, we think it's north of 20 if wow if what is true in spokane is true in other communities so there so you could double this program tomorrow and maybe not feed everybody right wow yeah. So kids are taking these home for the weekend for the most part. Yeah. And then, you know, because in a lot of cases, their meal, the way they get food during the day is at school. Yep. And that, that's where you start getting into the really um, kind of the, the heartbreaking stories about how um, kids were really struggling before this came along. And in the schools, it's sort of crazy to think about, you know, the, the cost of the food in this bag is roughly $5 every week. And we're buying direct from manufacturers and working with a lot of great food companies who make it very, we get a lot of bang for our buck. So it's it's a sure. healthy little bag of food. Uh, but it's still a little bag of food. It's not everything. Um, but boy, we've learned not to underestimate the power of it because it seriously affects the the quality of life for these kiddos they share it with siblings um they won't miss school because they're afraid not to get the bag and it's the stories have just been amazing and what they're able and their ability we heard stories when we did one of the we had an episode on yep. the bite to go piece it was about 12 minutes long and in there you know some of the some of the partners that have been a part of that from bite to go from the beginning were telling stories about you know the the, the kids ability to learn is directly related to whether or not they're fed or not. Oh yeah. And and the the retention and the their excellence in school has improved a ton because right? Because yeah. they've got food. Yep. And and if without it they were you know a lot of people a lot of these kids were having real problems. 
and just being, you know, the, the simple fact of being able to now provide them food for the weekend changed them a lot for those kids in terms of their ability to learn. Oh, yeah. It, f- food is one of those things, if you don't have it, it's a big problem. And if you're a kid struggling with a lot of other uh, challenges in, in your life or, or whatever is going on, that, the importance of that stuff rises a lot. <laughs> yeah, a ton. And the yeah. other word I keep hearing from you is buy. Now, I always thought food got donated. Yeah. And in a lot of cases it does. Right. I and mean, we'll talk about that. But the reality is you guys buy food and, are, and, and, and increasingly have had to more and more. We did a campaign last year, mm-hmm. which was probably the largest viewing of anything that we ever did. I think it reached 700,000 views or something crazy in a couple months, um, which says more about the need and the impact of it than anything else. Right. But your, your shelves were empty. Yeah, and it's still better. for the first time in maybe decades, a long time, or it happens occasionally. But occasionally, we were getting into these droughts, but it definitely was really acute, and it's kind of becoming uh, tricky again. And you know, most of the food, the vast majority of the food we get is donated, and it's stuff that's excess, unmarketable, number twos, lots of reasons that it, it may not be marketable anymore, and that's kind of what food banks do. Safe. But so exactly, but not sellable. But maybe it needs a little bit of work. We gotta sort it, repackage, whatever. Got a blemish uh, on the apple. Sure, Lot, lots of great examples. Um, but that has shifted, and you know, after the the great kind of challenges of the pandemic, and there was certainly a lot of government food purchased, and that and gave inflation hit and all that. Then, then with inflation and uh, just still kind of interesting supply chain challenges, and you throw a couple of droughts in, and a couple of low crop yield years, and all of a sudden, the wow. perfect storm. Yeah, yeah. So, our our team has pulled out all the stops this year, and and we managed to end up. We're going to be even compared to last year, but there are food banks around the country that are down 50%. So we feel down, What do you mean by down 50%? Their food volume is down 50%. So they have half the food to, be, to give. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So we feel very, very fortunate that our donors in our region have kind of stuck with us no matter what. And you have, but in a lot of cases, you pay for food. Yeah. I, you know, I. In some uh, cases, you do. In some cases. I would say maybe. And, and maybe you didn't in years past or less. You're, yes, you're definitely less. buying. You're paying more or buying more than yes. than you've had to in the past. Very fair statement. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And 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 that's got to be a different world. You're now negotiating for prices. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah or we're buying things like uh, we'll buy food in bulk when we can, like whether it's pasta or beans or rice. And our thank goodness we have an army of volunteers. We have they repackage that. They repackage it. Amazing. So we can really get a good as much value as we can. How many volunteers do you have? Uh, I, you know, I want to say we're in the six to seven thousand a year range right now. Wow, that's great. It's a lot of people. It's amazing. And and people can anybody can help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have we have uh, between our two facilities, there are I think twenty four volunteer shifts a week, maybe more now. And that's just in Spokane. Yeah, we well, and Pasco. We have and a, Pasco. We have a warehouse in Pasco. So that may, that's what you mean between Spokane and yes, Pasco. Exactly. Pasco. You have that ability. Yep. Wow, that's incredible. So yeah. how do people help? Yeah, that, you know, a lot of that's pretty easy anymore. I mean, you can get on our website and sign up to volunteer. And the shifts are typically two hours long. And uh, like this 
this week. Oh, they're grueling. I've done them. Oh, yeah. And it's, there's music. I know. And dancing. Well, they're smiling people, which makes some folks it's uncomfortable. It's a little, yeah, I, me. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah, a I little know. too much for me. And you're helping it's people. entirely in too fun. I didn't yeah. feel like I really sacrificed much okay. in those yeah. two hours. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't like it. Yeah, I got you. Well, <laughs> you know, maybe if it appeals to other people out there, we'll, we'll reach a couple of folks. No, it's actually really fun. I mean, I was shocked by it. We filmed it just recently, and they, yeah. they literally had... They were doing YMCA or something. Oh, you know, sure. You know, the, yeah. you know, I don't know. All, all kinds of uh, fun yeah. and games at these things while people are, you oh, know. that's great. Giving out food and, hey, and packaging the, it up. The team was repacking. We got uh, 20 bins of Bing cherries recently. <laughs> and I don't know if you've ever had the experience of repacking cherries. It's not as easy as you might think. <laughs> I, they, they, were, not. they were doing an emergency sort yesterday because, you know, these things, cherries don't last a long time. Right. And I we, have a tree, and I know they Okay, yes. so that we had gotten through 12 of the bins and got them distributed out into the community, but we had eight left on Monday. Oh, my god! So we were doing kind of an emergency sort yesterday, and even staff went down for a while. So I went down and tried to rebag cherries for an hour, and it is slow, tedious work. <laughs> I am so grateful for all the people who helped. <laughs> Uh, strangest food you get. This oh is part my. of the Between Tooth Ferns part of the I program. I gotcha. I like it. We've had some interesting things over the years. Um, I would say it, back in the day, it's gotten better, but we used to get very strange foods from the USDA commodity program. So we get a, <laughs> some stuff from the federal government. And um, they're just some things like generic spam. Oh. Or other canned meats yeah. feel very 1940s. Um, <laughs> Rations, you'd call them. Or one of my favorites was at one point they were trying to help out different kind of fruit growers. And so they got the idea of taking like a five-gallon pail, like a you know, like the plastic like bucket. bucket you yeah, buy at Lowe's or yeah. whatever, and fill it with fruit and water and freeze it. And so we would get these frozen, just blocks of ice with <laughs> fruit buried in the middle of it. So like uh, a semi truck, boysenberry sickles. Yes. <laughs> what? Or it might be like cranberries. Oh. Yeah. So that some of those were sort of like, what's what are we gonna do with this? Wow. This yeah. leads me now to one of the things that we hope to do an episode on at some point. Yeah. Which is the one I think that's your and my favorite, and maybe nobody else's, is um, all the times you screwed up. Oh boy. <laughs> The experiments that went awry. Oh, there are so many. What was the one? There was one. It was like a, it was like a sifter or something. Wasn't oh, there some a sifter? Wasn't there some kind of thing that you guys were like, "Hey, we can take this machine and we can we can sort oh, stuff with it." Oh, yeah. What was that? What so, was... okay, yes, I know what you're talking about. Let's see if this is the story. I'm sure it is. So when I when I got to Spokane, um, again, the the world is full of good intentions, right? <laughs> And the intention was there's a lot of vegetable processing in Washington. So if we could get that bulk we are frozen in a, vegetables. In a, in a big, I mean, some of the oh, best farmland Basin in the world. is amazing. I mean, we, you are fortunate. Oh, yeah, you are we're lucky. The, you are in the, uh, yeah, the breadbasket of, sort of, of, like of the just, country. It's right? just sort of second to California is, is the basic idea wow. uh, in terms of ag. And so kind of the way this thing evolved was um, they procured... A retired almond roca 
sorting machine <laughs> from the Almond Roca factory. The actual Almond Roca factory? Yes. And this thing... That's it, pretty sexy, though. I'm pretty sure it was designed with a slide ruler in 1954 and probably installed in a factory by the early 70s. <laughs> and this machine was massive. They actually had to raise the ceiling on the building to get this thing in the space. And anyway, I show up in Spokane and we have this machine. Somehow they got it in there. Oh, yeah. They said yes to anything. Yeah, they, <laughs> apparently. apparently. <laughs> yeah. And um, it, again, good intentions. But the idea was we could take this frozen stuff and run it through the, the buckets on this machine that would then dump it into bags. And, and then you wouldn't need volunteers because the machine would do Oh, because it would do all the work. Of well, course it would. As you can imagine, <laughs> this this was not cutting edge technology, right. and when it worked, it worked poorly. <laughs> <laughs> if it worked, and most of the time it did not work. <laughs> and we actually had this uh, th- this poor guy named Gary who was trying to keep it running all the time. Oh my gosh! It, it should have been nuts. a Willy Wonka's factory. Yeah, it was it more probably of a, wouldn't even have made that. No, it was more of a Lucille Lucille Ball kind of episode. <laughs> so, so you. You had to say goodbye to your little darling there at some point. We did have to like it. And, it, you know, you get invested in things and you have this kind of sunk cost bias. Like, well, we, but we own the machine and we can, if we could just get it to work. No, we, we eventually chopped it No, it doesn't it work. It, it got chopped up for scrap at some point. And that's actually where our beautiful teaching kitchen is now. Oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that is incredible. You guys have an amazing kitchen. That was one of the other things I want to talk about. Oh, is yeah. that you're not only invested in getting food to people, but getting people to be healthy. Yeah, for sure. There's a double whammy. It is. Yeah, I, I think I, I, you know our hypothesis is that if you're you're trying to live on a budget, or there are times where you can't afford to fill your fridge, that just having more scratch cooking skills is a good thing, and knowing more about you know what you're putting in your body is a good thing, which I think is universally true. I don't think that's restricted to folks who who don't make a lot of money. It's um, true. And I think. Uh, We've learned some really great things with our, our teaching kitchen, and it's helped it's helped us engage with a lot of different volunteers and partners. And we take the show on the road, and we teach classes in our building, and it's been a really cool adventure. Yeah, we just filmed one a co- last week or a couple of weeks ago yeah. with uh, with kids. They yes. were hilarious. You made a pizza. Yes, that was not very interesting. No, it was say. a terrible just, pizza. The kids were way better. They were. <laughs> Smarter and better cooks and more memorable. Pretty much everything we've put you through, I would say everybody else is probably better. No, for sure. Yeah. The yeah, packing that's... parts. I mean, you would think. I know. You would think even that You're part. kind of holding up the show. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was I your was... words. No, that's true. That's true. Those kids at the high school were pretty efficient until they, they showed up. They were really fast. Yeah. yeah. That was cool, too. One of the Bite to Go programs. Yeah. The, the volunteers for that at Lewis and Clark High School were the kids. Yeah, I love that. That was really cool. Yeah. Like high school students packing bags for their, for maybe even themselves, but at least for their, for their uh, fellow students. Yeah, it was yeah. Uh, was really cool, and they loved it. Oh, they're the leaders. They run those programs in those schools, and they own it. And it's uh, it's a neat little leadership workshop. Uh, the donors are engaged by that. And yeah. Yeah, we love it. And the other big misnomer out there, um, I know one of the favorite things you like to hear is people to come up to you and say. Hey, Jason, I got this idea. (laughs) What if you took the food that the grocery store's not using and give it out to people? Yes, yeah. You know, and how many times have you heard that? uh, More than once. (laughs) Um, I, you know, I have a a friend, I, I, I can't quite get the exact quote, but she leads another food bank, and she said, you know, 
our world is just full of people with the most wonderful uninformed intentions. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. And and it's and it's our fault. We're not doing a good enough job telling the story about how we do our well, work. Well, we're trying to help and it's helping I think a little bit. I think it is, but it is it is funny to and I think we can all have casual experience of that like you're frustrated why something is slow or right. whatever you're standing in line too long and you're like why don't they just <laughs> but the fact is you have been doing this for we've been doing it for a while half a century almost yeah <laughs> over 50 years so we've tried some things which is why i think it's important to talk about the failures because so many of the things haven't worked and we try to learn from them and that's how you grow and get better but your grocery rescue program works oh it's amazing so yeah. how does this work yeah, I, I love it. It's sort of this hidden thing, this machine that nobody really yeah. knows about. It is. It's, it's gosh, I want to, I think we're over 180 grocery stores now across the region. So we, we you started with one. Yes. Rosar's on 29th. Yes. Exactly. And not that long ago. How many years ago was that? I want to say that was probably 2004, 2005, mm-hmm. somewhere in there. So not that many years ago. And it is now, as a category, our number one source of food. Is that right? It's going to be. Um, I think I, ju- I just saw the numbers this morning. I think we're going to be at 11.4 million pounds of food collected from grocery stores this fiscal year. Is that right? So that's, that's 180 a 180 across yeah. your region. Yeah. And so that's some in Sandpoint, some in yep, all Yakima, everywhere, wherever. Everywhere. That's and, amazing. And, and all the big banners and lots of the locally owned stores. And essentially, you know, to keep it, also keep it really efficient, what we do is we have the relationship with the grocery store. We train store managers, get everybody on board. And they agree to collect things that are donatable to us. And then we partner with a local food pantry. And their volunteers go pick it up. Uh, So we don't centralize it. It's highly decentralized. It's very local. And it generates millions and millions of meals for people. Right. We filmed at the Southside Pantry, which is right by Trader Joe's up on South Hill. And an awesome church up there has this, has donated this space. Yeah. And it's big. I mean, it's a it pretty is a big, space. big space where, you know, people go in and can basically get food and yeah. or it's sortable, right? And so yeah. I, I would, I was, I drove by there last weekend. I went to uh, oh, you saw the line. breakfast over there and I saw the line. People, you yep. know, waiting in line on a Saturday morning. For sure. Um, and, and we got to see the, the behind the scenes of that. And yeah, one of their volunteers goes over, picks it up, right? Yeah. Picks it up at the, at the, at Rosar's or wherever the, their grocery store is and brings it. Or many of the stores and bring, and bring them in. Yeah, they're just, just volunteers with pickups and, and people come and pick up food that they need. Yeah, it's really cool. So that's a much better distribution because you're putting food in the neighborhoods. Yep, right where people live. Oh, absolutely. Or if you're getting to a place that you know doesn't have that, then you've got a market that pull, a mobile market. Your yeah. your beer trucks pull up right at certain days. So I mean, right. you're really it's such a smart way to kind of get food out to people, and I, I I'm just kind of blown away because. Like you said, most of the stuff, most of this work is not done by your staff, right? I mean, you do not have a giant staff, oh, really. Not for the scale of what we. Not do. for the scale of what you're doing at all. Yeah. It's pretty amazing, and I think um, it means more. Be you probably it's probably better than if you were staffed. Oh, because I think the volunteers so. care. Yeah, they do. They're they're invested. Not that employees it, wouldn't, but it, but well, there's something but it, about helping your neighbor. Right? It keeps it efficient. Um. It lets us do more good because we have more people helping, and it keeps it local. I mean, it's the, the Southside Pantry is going to do a much better job figuring out how to take care of the people in their neighborhood than I could. Right. So, but we just keep this simple. 
Yeah, that's that's the, probably the coolest band. Okay, now we're going to get to the most important part. Okay. Star Wars. Oh, Star Wars. You are a big fan yes. of sci-fi, that kind oh, of show. For sure. Your favorite Star Wars episode. We're back to the Between the Two Ferns section. We're back Between the Two Ferns. Um, I, I have to go old school. I'm a child of the 70s. That's I'm gonna have I'm going to have to say The Empire Strikes Back. As old as it is, it's still great. First, uh, I saw the original Star Wars. Yeah. In 1977, mm-hmm. I was 10. Yep. At the North Division. No, wait. At uh, I think it was. It was at a at a it was at a drive-in theater with my family. Oh. And yeah, we watched it in a drive-in. Yeah. <laughs> that is awesome. It was so cool, and it. If I look back now and watch it and go. That must have been horrible watching it. In a, yeah, that would it would be horrible with a crappy little sound. But I'm glad John you Williams the story. Would, would, yeah. would you know be really mad at me? His <laughs> score. Uh, but I'll never. I mean, that was so cool to see it. it to, you know, I mean, it was it was there's nothing like it. And I think people now kind of you know take this stuff for granted. They don't really realize. Yeah, the context. How matters. cool it was that. Oh, yeah. Because I was about ten when Empire Strikes. What, what is it about that? That okay? Was it just because you were ten and it, yeah, when yeah. it came out? Yeah, and I'm sure it's I'm sure it's just the the memory of it. It's just like the one I still respond to the most. Right. I just have that memory of. Right, 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 right. That's yeah. that's super cool. We talked about um, uh, the other one was Indiana Jones. So yeah. you have seen. The new Indiana Jones. The Dial of Destiny, I have. The Dial of Destiny. We're ready now for Jason Clark's uh, personal critique of the Dial of Destiny. Okay. Indiana Jones. I, I have to start with, I wish I had the physique, the agility, and the stamina of Harrison Ford. <laughs> Even at age 80. I'm pretty sure he would just mop the floor with me. <laughs> well, you know, he was just on Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. Oh, okay. And, he was, and they always had the little thing. It's like, uh, uh, I'm Harrison Ford, and I am... They, you have to describe, uh-huh. right? I'm Harrison Ford, and I am... Reluctantly conf- here or whatever. I'm confused about being Conan O'Brien's <laughs> friend. <laughs> what a great answer. He was hilarious. Okay, I'm listening. I mean, to he that. is so funny, and mostly it's that Conan doesn't ever stop and listen to him. <laughs> you know, I think that I do a little. That's pretty, part of Conan's they charm. They do a pretty good job of letting you answer your question. <laughs> that was very. He kind. literally told him, "You know, would you stop interrupting me?" <laughs> I'm Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford, and he would just say, "Conan O'Brien." <laughs> so, so yeah, great. so so. What stars do you give this? I mean, how many? What, what do you say? Is it worth it, watching? It, it, I would say absolutely. I mean, I, I don't think it's going to take home all the big awards this year. But in terms of. <laughs> Is it ever really? Probably no. no. But in terms of just like throwback, good popcorn, adventure from start to end, very, it was a satisfying film. But you have a connection to I, this film. I do. You? I have a connection to the Indiana Jones trilogy. Is it a trilogy? More it's, than trilogy. It's, it's, it's like it's a, five. It's five. So Holy it's like crap. a, is that a septuplet? Septuplet. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. I do. Yeah. Karen Allen. Oh, who she's was in this. Miriam, yes. I believe is the character's name. Yes, it is. Was in the original Indiana Jones. Sort of the love interest of, of uh, Indy. Right. Yes. Uh, was also in the basket, the movie that I helped produce and direct and create. Um, right. 
with many other people. Um, she was our, our star, our lead star. What a catch. I totally think so. And she was a delight. And I, I do have a story. I may have shared this on the podcast. I apologize if I have. But um, <clears throat> she was not shy about talking about. Now, this is, this is um, she was in the first movie. She was not in the second. That's true. Kate Capshaw was in the Kate second. Kate Capshaw, yes. Who eventually married Steven, Steven Spielberg. Spielberg, yeah. And is still married to Steven Spielberg. Yeah. And um, so I, there's that. <laughs> but she told us stories at lunch. We're filming. And we, she was with us about 14 days, which was okay. just a joy. Every second was a joy. She was just... Yeah. And this is a woman who had been in... Peter Coyote and her had been, I think, each in about... 70 films, 60 oh, wow. or 70 films, which is a lot. So a pro. And she's a, you know, theater-trained actress, really, <clears throat> and had been in a lot of really cool movies, worked with Woody Allen and worked with, you know, just, she's an actor and a really respected one. Yeah. Um, and just stunning and funny and smart and really did a great job in the role. And she just at lunch sits down with me and a few other people and starts telling Stories about Indian Jones. Oh wow! And I'm like, we're like, what? Jaw drop. Yes, just like, tell us everything. (laughs) And the first thing she said was, "Well, I did not. uh, I Steven Spielberg and Harrison Ford were complete jerks to me. Oh, so this might be disappointing. I'm sorry. Oh, oh boy. She said um, Spielberg would call her the girl all the time." Ouch. And this is a strong woman, okay? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. she goes up to him and confronts him and says, um, excuse me, my name is uh, Karen, and you can call me Marion because that's the character's name, but don't call me the girl. And she, like, turns around, takes three steps, and she hears, tell the girl to be back at the set in ten minutes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's how that went. Those are some things you don't want to hear about your, uh, yeah. He was not liked by the crew. Ah. You know, this is a Jewish guy. They would Their nickname for him was Hitler. Yikes. Okay. Um, I'm probably going to get in trouble for all this, but I, why would I? Oh, I don't no, care for him. Nobody, nobody cares. <laughs> <laughs> and he brought his, everybody, they were filming in Southeast Asia somewhere, Thailand yeah. or somewhere. I don't remember where it was filmed, but there were sections of that that were pretty exotic location. He brought, everybody got sick from the food because it was food poisoning and they just, people didn't adjust well. And the crew was all British. And they, um, he brought, everybody ate the same food except him and he had his own food flown in. (laughs) Wow, so he didn't get sick. Nobody liked that. So she was like, that was difficult, you know. wow. And then Harrison Ford, who we love so much. Um, she said, Hey, you know, we should get together and talk about our parts. I mean, we're the two leads in this and you know, you, you want to you know, have a little powwow about what we're going to talk about. And he yeah. said, he looks at her and says, it's only Harrison Ford could say, I would just soon never see you again the rest of my life, except <laughs> for the scenes that we're in together. Close the door. Oh my. And, and, we're, and we're just like, she told us the story. What? <laughs> and she was great. She was just like, she goes, now, this has been, at that point, 10 years anyway, 20 years? I mean, it had been a yeah. while, right? Yeah, yeah sure. <clears throat> she said, look, 
I, I've thought about this a lot. The world was very different in 1980-whatever when that right. movie was created. These guys didn't have families. They have families now. Uh, <laughs> I think that changes you. Yeah. I'm open to believing that, they're, that, that they've, they've changed. They've grown and life. changed. Yeah. And, you know, who knows what pressure Spielberg was dealing with. I mean, I've directed a lot of stuff, and I can only imagine. No, he must have. Any director that's got that kind of budget and that kind of thing going on always has to doubt whether or not it's going to work ever. Right, and you right. got to hold up a attitude of "I'm in charge" or sure. the whole ship goes. So you got armor up. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's playing the part, whatever that means, and she probably was too. Which I think a lot of pe- a lot of character, a lot of actors in the middle of a movie scene, a movie experience of making mm-hmm. one, play begin to feel the role. Yeah, sure. She is a strong woman in that role. She is going to be that way. Yeah. Those that month she's on that set, right? So I mean, there's a little bit of she admitted that 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 could have been just her, be playing the part, you know, feeling the part, as you say. Yeah. <clears throat> and then she said for Harrison Ford, she goes, I I thought about it later, and I went, you know, this guy had not been in that many movies at that point. We think about it, Star yeah. Wars, right? Sure. But he he was a carpenter, right? And he worked on westerns. You know, he was, and he talks about that a lot on the Conor O'Brien piece. And he was on, oh. he was on Gunsmoke and stuff. It's just the guy that always would get killed, yeah, you know, or whatever. <laughs> the red shirt, <laughs> yeah. And so this is not a theater trained actor. Yeah, let's say that. She said, I think a lot of these guys who get big, you know, he's Carpenter one day on a set, and then suddenly he's Han Solo or whatever. You you go close the door, and you learn your lines, and you say it into a mirror the way you're going to say it, and that's how you're going to do it. And yeah. I don't want to talk to anybody except to do it the It'll way throw I'm me do. Off. It's going to throw yeah, me yeah. off. Yeah, yeah. And she goes, I think, you know, from a theater background, it's all about in the moment and collaboration and all that stuff. And she think, she goes, I think he was at that point in his life one of these people that closed the door and learned the line. And that was going to, that was his way of saying, uh, it was an insecurity. Yeah, you know? sure. She goes, so I'm, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. Fast forward a year later, I open the paper and I see the new Indiana Jones with Karen Allen. <laughs> she's, you know, she takes the gig. She's in the third one. Okay. And, you know, and, and she's back in those movies and she's in the one right now. Right. So whatever it was, I think they all got over it. They, they made peace with it. <laughs> and she got paid a bunch. So what the heck, you take a check. <laughs> but I, I, I've always loved that story because it just told me a lot about like, no matter who you are, whatever, you know, people, people change and they grow and they whatever. And took Harrison Ford, just listening to him on that podcast, he is not that guy at all that he was then and he's done 80 movies or something now and he's you know he's gonna hold his own no matter what he's in a a new series it's phenomenal so anyway I just there's so there's my story what do you think I love it thanks for sharing it was that helpful it was well it's a it's all it's always good to remind ourselves to to be generous yeah I I, anyway well I thank you for the critique because I want to go see this movie and I'm and you know I'm a I'm an old school movie guy Go to the theater. Oh, I love going to the theater. Did you go to the theater and watch yes. it? You have to, right? Yeah, and people it. don't watch. I'm guilty as anybody, but you got to go to watch that movie. You got to watch Top Gun. You know, these movies oh, yeah. you got to see in the theater, which it's is why that's the only movies we're getting now are these big cartoon blockbuster shows because yeah. you have to go see them there because the experience is better, I think, you know, yep. which is a shame for a little movie, for the, for the little movie guy in me. And right. those just are not doing well at the movie theater. And th- right. theaters are hurting. I mean, oh, no it's doubt. A, you know, this is it's so weird to say, even say that that's possible, but yeah. it's a dying 
kind of oh, it's been such a you know. such a big part of so many of our lives. Yeah. Next uh, between the two ferns question. Oh yes. Favorite food. Uh, I mean, you're a food guy. I am a food guy. Um, I'll I'll betray my Midwest roots. It's beef. Really? Yeah. Do you do you guys provide that? You do. We do. We've actually got a, a wonderful partnership um, with with Agribeef and the cattlemen and kettlewomen and um, that's cool. A whole program called Beef Counts, and it does generate. It's expensive. You know, beef is not cheap, so right. it's not vast amounts, but. It's very generous. They help us. A lot of our mobile markets have hamburger on them. Favorite kind of steak? Oh, ribeye. Oh, man. That's good. Why are we doing this here? I don't know. I don't don't know. know. Favorite fruit? Uh, Gosh, again, uh, I loved my grandma's apple pie growing up. Oh, man. Apples. Missouri guy. Yeah. Missouri or Missouri? So it's kind of a, there's there's a split. Uh, Certainly (laughs) there are many people I know that say Missouri. Um. But I, my family, for the most part, is Missouri. My, uh, my, my first wife, mom of my kids, uh, Tessa, went to uh, school in, she proudly calls it, Nevada, Missouri. Oh, yes. It's not Nevada, Missouri. Correct. Nevada, Missouri. So, Am I right? Yeah. No, no you're correct. And, and Frank, just to give my bona fides a bit more, um, <laughs> my dad actually raises Missouri jumping mules. But not Missouri jumping mules. He would not say that. <laughs> but if you went to the state fair. What is fair, a jumping mule? Uh, is it like a Mexican jumping bean in any way? No, it's okay. not similar. But they, Sounds they, similar. Basically, the advent of the barbed wire fence led to the Missouri jumping mule. Because you, if you're going to do something oh. like go raccoon hunting, you have Which to Which you often white, do, clearly. Uh, well, my dad does, I'm afraid. So, <laughs> the, That's awesome. You have to have a jumping mule to get over the barbed wire fences. Oh, and that's what happened. That's they that's, bred them to do that, or something. Yes. Like, is it like a kangaroo and a mule? I don't. Uh, <laughs> it's just a special breed. <laughs> yes, it's very impressive to watch them. Um, so we've been doing these, this social media outreach, yeah, uh, video storytelling, whatever you want to call it, for a few years now, and it has helped you guys. Oh yeah, but also. Uh, for a lot of organizations, not something they would adopt. Mm. Why the early adoption, and how has it how has it been? Mm. And including the fact that we have made you hold up a giant spoon, yeah, yeah. almost in every episode, which hopefully we're cutting away to right now <laughs> on this podcast for oh, those my. who watch on YouTube uh, of, of a montage of you holding up spoons, which you've held. Everywhere from here to Zilla. I have. Uh, uh, why, why, why put yourself through this misery, especially having to work with us? I, well, I would say, Frank, the, the thing that I concluded years ago, it, it, pride is overrated. <laughs> and, and once I accepted that, and the fact... And that's a big one. And, yeah, and the fact that I'm just a forgettable person. That I thought <laughs> this, this, this spoon thing <laughs> could be... <laughs> This could be my moment. People remember the spoon, <laughs> if not you. Hey, exactly. you're the spoon guy. You're the, you're you the know big where, spoon. No, it'd be like, do you know where the spoon is? <laughs> Josh? Yeah, that's fine. It's fine. You know, the it, it's I, I, you approach us with some ideas about, you know, again, we don't have to be heavy-hearted about 
what we do. Well, you're able to be. This works because you have a great sense of humor. Oh well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> does, You don't take yourself too seriously. No, I, which I, is I, what I is great. About I, I'm it. very mockable, but I think the, um, the 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 stories have been so fun to do, and I've it's been a joy to interview people, and and it's helped me kind of renew my sense of purpose in so many ways. Like those two, the two ladies we met in Zilla who came to the mobile market oh, not for I, themselves. It was moving. But to take it back to like shut in seniors who couldn't get out and the and the yeah. veteran that the one woman was like he, he dropped it below 100 pounds and she's gotten his weight up because she's taking him food. And right. That, that's that's right. why it's worth it. And however, we need to tell that story. I and mean, when she told you off because uh, they weren't they didn't weren't liking kale. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we're not she, we're not happy with the kale. She was critical about the kale. I, I'll give you that. I like kale. Yeah. <laughs> but that was so funny. Yeah. And and it was. It was super heartbreaking and the reality of of you know, people have to choose between whether or not they're going to pay the rent or they're going to eat. Right. And this reality of all the stuff that we've been a part of doing projects around the homeless situation and the housing problems. Oh, sure. Food, you know, food is directly, it's all affecting everything. Everything's affecting everything. Yeah. When the house, the cost of housing goes up, well, what do you, you do have to choose. Yeah, for sure. In many cases, people, you know, I would say, I know at Camp Hope when we filmed there for that episode, there were, 678 people there at its height or whatever and we filmed filmed them then oh yeah um, and it it was there was at least I want to say they said 30% of the people that worked there um, were had jobs that lived at Camp Hope were working yeah they were employed yeah and it really was you know I couldn't I can't afford rent anymore yeah and therefore I can't afford food or oh, I already yeah. have the other one or the other yeah, and it's just not it's not the world. It's not the country you and I grew up in. Kind of that wasn't the reality. As it feels much. different. It, it feels it's many different. more people. I guess it's yeah. It's a bigger scale. That was right. always. It's always been going on, and I don't think you'll ever yeah. solve homelessness. You won't. But you you think, and this is part of the big yeah. audacious part of our our web series, Jason's crusade against hunger. You think that hunger is actually solvable? Because I is. know experts on the homeless side. And, and what I've learned on that tra- trail for two years is that you really will never solve homelessness, but you can manage it better. Yeah, sure. But I think you, you think that you can solve home, you can solve hunger. Yeah. The, you know, the guy who founded the first food bank in the world was a guy named John Van Hangel, and it was in Phoenix, Arizona. And it was called St. Mary's Food Bank, which still exists to this day. It's a great organization. But there's this photo of John, like, in the early years. And on the whiteboard behind him in this photo, this was this is just a photo. And it's sort of like, whoa, this is very poignant. It says, the, the poor shall always be with us, but why the hungry? And I think that really sums things up for me we can put food in people's hands and make sure they're literally not starving we can make food part of it's a piece it's not everything for by any stretch but it we can take that worry away from a little kid on the weekend we can help a family who's struggling to make ends meet right now so and it's a logistics problem it's certainly an economic problem but there is food out there we can save from being waste and we can do some good with it and so I, that's why i believe it, it is doable the other big partner you have in this stuff is that is big agriculture oh yeah you've had 
you know, we got a chance to go to a, one of the you know, Yakima fruit. It's an yeah. amazing fruit plant with all these cool, I mean, sorting apples uh, yeah, yeah. from everywhere. The I mean, machinery. Dude, yeah. it was crazy how, how big that operation was. Yeah. What's, what is that relationship like? Because you must have really strong sort of, you know, because we are, I mean, like you said, this probably the second biggest region in terms of yeah. agriculture for yeah, that yeah. feed the world, oh, literally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what has that been like? And how they're another silent partner that probably doesn't get enough love, I don't think. I, I agree. I, I think most of them are pretty humble, hardworking folks. And, um, you know, they're feeding the world and certainly our, our nation in so many ways. And a lot of them are family owned businesses that have, uh, you know, been built over many, like generations in many cases. <laughs> and it's so cool to see how they do their work and that so many of them are so generous. Yeah. Because uh, it, it's not, you, you go into these facilities, you go into their farms. I mean, some of the numbers are staggering and I won't even pretend to quote, but I mean, you're talking about tens of thousands of dollars to start an acre of an apple orchard. I mean, it's, wow. It, Stuff and the machinery in those buildings and the trucks and the equipment, it's, it's vast. Um, so uh, we're really fortunate that so many of them are willing to give back and support the communities they live in. Yeah, that's great. And then the other kind of last thing I wanted to talk about was what <clears throat> I think is, is be- becoming a bigger problem with climate change as it changes. Mm. This is this idea that you know, food waste is becoming, uh, a- a- is affecting the environment. Right. Can you talk about that in a way? Because I've, I've, you know, we've been talking about that a little bit, but but yeah. I don't know it as much. But sure. but it's a it's a problem with really the the effects of climate, for sure. And I I think what's kind of interesting me to me is in many ways uh, food banks have been playing a role in this for a long time, um, but it's not necessarily something that we've done a good job describing to others or figuring out how to like take it to the next level so uh, the tens and tens of millions of pounds of food and it's actually a few billion pounds of food across the country are rescued by food banks and so that's stuff that gets diverted from the waste stream in many ways and at least is helping humans (laughs) Um, and I, I think I think a lot of people are doing as much as they can to start minimizing that you know, the, the waste problems, and I think that will continue to advance, but we can also keep partnering on how we also feed people while we do that. So that's that's kind of the next thing for us to really start digging into and figure out how we partner uh, with more and more folks to both save food and reduce the impact on the on the planet. Big part of landfills are food. Yeah, there's there's a stunning amount of food that, that goes to waste, and it's a lot of different streams, and it's super complicated, but um, there are things we could be doing. That's great. Anything you want to leave us with that you wish people knew about Second Harvest or the work you guys do that, that mm. you know, that, that we should know? Mm. You know, it's, I think about our founder, Kay Porta, on a pretty regular basis. So tell me about that, because this yeah. started literally in Spokane with, a family. Yeah, yeah. So there's this really lovely human being named Kay Porta who worked at the DSHS office in downtown. Kay had read something about this idea called a food bank, which I had mentioned our founder earlier. The first food bank in the world was 1967. In 1971, Kay Porta started one in Spokane, Washington. That was the year I was born, 67. Excellent. I'm as old as the oldest, as the, That's the oldest food bank. That's great. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Huh. So anyway, it was it, it 
the the roots of Second Harvest have always we're, we're just standing on the shoulders of all the volunteers who've made it happen. So and she just decided with her family to start the how the heck? Yeah, she got together some other folks, and before you knew it, they had a little spot in downtown Spokane, and we we're doing this food bank thing. And here we are. Yeah. Wow. Fifty some years later, Second Harvest is here. Uh, last between the two ferns question. Okay. Um, how honestly you have to tell the truth here, okay. and then like all the other stuff you've been saying. Yeah. Well. How many boxes of fishy crackers do you have at your house? Because you have access to a lot of food. Let's be, come on, give. It's time to give. We know, we know. You know. We know that you, what's your, what is the one guilty pleasure that you're going through the stuff and you're like, because when I'm sorting that thing, oh, yeah. there's some good food. Now. Oh, there is some good food I mean, that comes through. I'm like, oh man, those Rice Krispie treats look pretty good. Oh, and yeah, I know the yeah. kids are supposed to get them, but what, I mean, what is it? What's the guilty pleasure that you... The, the thing that would you tempt want to, me? You, that would tempt you. That would tempt me? <laughs> oh, jeez. You know, Frank, any, it's hard to pass up the baked goods. They, oh, they look, man. you know, some shortbread, some good cookies. I, I mean, you're know. a Midwest guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Scandinavian. We like that stuff. You do have a bit of David Letterman in you. Oh, do We've I? talked about, yes, yeah, yeah. the beard, okay, the I delivery. Like yeah, okay. Right? You, you, I uh, love David Letterman. I mean... Well, who doesn't love Dave? Yeah. But I think you've got some Dave in you, and oh, that's geez. been part of the charm. You know, don't think people don't know who Jason Clark is. Josh, is that you, Josh? <laughs> See, this is the problem now. <laughs> the, oh, the I'm creating my own problem. Everybody's going to see I'm creating my own problem. No wonder everybody thinks you call Josh. <laughs> well, Josh, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate your help. Thanks, Fred. Hey, you're welcome. <laughs> MIP Podcast was filmed at the studio of Corner Booth Media. Please sure to like, subscribe, and follow us on social media. You can also listen to us on Spotify, Apple Music, and anywhere podcasts can be found. We'd love it if you'd rate, review, and subscribe to help our podcast grow. Be good to yourself and stay interesting.